with you. If you would, please turn to the book of James, James chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 5 and read it down to verse 8. While you're turning there, let me encourage you also to plan on joining us on Wednesday evening as we begin this new series on Calvinism, the upside down gospel. I preached this in Ballyclare back in September of last year, and uh, it received a very good uh, response uh, from people who listened in online. In fact, they even just this week, somebody mentioned to me that they had been listening uh, to that particular series online. And uh, I want to take that series and kind of uh, expand it a little bit and teach it at a slower pace. Uh, here because I'd only got seven services there to teach it in. Uh, so I can take a bit more time here and, uh, and hopefully we can focus in on it and understand the ramifications of the uh, doctrines of Calvinism. So I do encourage you to come out uh, for that and uh, I think it'll be a blessing and a help to you in your walk as a believer. But this morning we're in James chapter 1 and verse 5. James chapter 1 and verse 5. And James says this, If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable, in all his ways. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Well, last Sunday morning, we thought about the reality of trials. James raised the issue of the trying of our faith, and uh, we thought about how God provides for us in the midst of trials. But James now takes us a little step beyond that, and he wants to speak about wisdom as one of our greatest needs in trial. You know, the story is told of a woman who was going through a great trial. She had had a stroke, and then to boot, her husband had gone blind, and then he had been taken into hospital and was not expected to live. And so one Sunday morning, as she was leaving the service, uh, the pastor assured her of his prayers. But she shocked him when she said, Pastor, what are you asking God to do? And he said, well, I'm asking God to help and strengthen you. And she said, well, I appreciate that, but pray about one more thing. Pray that I will have the wisdom not to waste all of this. Pray that I would have the wisdom not to waste all of this. You know, in the midst of trials, we need wisdom. And wisdom helps us think with the heavenly mind. It helps us to think differently than we would have thought before we knew the Lord. And it helps us think differently to the world and the society around us. The uh, great Bible commentator Sparos Sodiates said this in respect to wisdom. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is around us. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. And so in writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, James knew that they would need wisdom more than anything else. They had jumped out of the frying pan of persecution in Jerusalem into the fire 
of persecution in the Roman Empire. And things weren't easy. So the transition from verse 4 of this chapter, which speaks of the reasons for our trials, to verse 5, which speaks to the proper response of our trials, is a quite natural one. So what has James got to say to us today about wisdom? Well, first of all, I want you to see that every Christian will require wisdom. Every Christian will require wisdom. Notice what he says there in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom. And the truth is that at some point in our lives, maybe even many times in our lives, we lack wisdom. You know, we, we don't always have the right answers. And uh, we don't always know what to do right away in every particular circumstance. Certainly I don't. Many times I've been left scratching my head, thinking what's the right thing to say here? What's the right thing to do? How should I respond uh, to this? How should I approach this problem? And if you're honest, you've had those difficulties also. In other words, at times we lack wisdom. Wisdom is about knowing what to do and what not to do. Wisdom is about knowing what to say and what not to say. Wisdom is about knowing how to approach or not to approach a particular circumstance. Wisdom differs from knowledge in that knowledge is what you know, but wisdom is about what you do with what you know. For example, one writer put it this way, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Now, the truth is there are many people in this world who are very knowledgeable, and yet there are not very many people who are all that wise. You know, a person can be very smart, be highly educated, can be intelligent in every sense, and and indeed very well-schooled and knowledgeable about many things, and yet still lack wisdom when it comes to dealing with day-to-day problems that that life throws up from time to time. And some of the most knowledgeable people that I know have also turned out to be among the most foolish people that I know. King Solomon, who requested wisdom of God, said this and counsels us in this regard. He said, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And I love this last line. He says, and with all thy getting, get wisdom. You know, do you ever think about life? Life is about getting, isn't it? We're going to have to get the groceries in. We're going to have to get the kids from school. You know, we're going to have to get a a new suit for that wedding. We're going to have to uh, get this and get that. And Solomon says, you know, in all the things that you get in life, in all your gettings, get wisdom. And he goes on, he says in Proverbs 16, 16, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? He says in Ecclesiastes, wisdom is better than strength. And again in Proverbs, all things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. So James is writing to these people who are experiencing very severe trials. 
And how, how was this group to respond to that? Here was a group of believers who were passing through some pretty tough times and their willingness to go on was literally hanging by a thread and they wondered what they should do as, as they wrestled with their difficulties day by day. You know, they think about it, they lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they lost their health perhaps, they lost uh, their liberty, their property, they were in danger even of losing their lives. They were Christians who were facing daily persecution and they needed wisdom. Well, what about you this morning? Are you facing a personal trial? Are you in some difficulty? Are you suffering some affliction? Is someone making life hard for you? Maybe making life hard at home or making life hard at work or making life hard in your community or whatever it may be. I wonder, are you looking then to the heavens to help you? Are you asking God in the midst of this trial, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me know how to act and react. Help me know what to say and what not to say. What to do and what not to do. You see, we need wisdom. But how do you get wisdom? Well, every Christian will require wisdom. But notice every Christian ought to request wisdom. That's the next thing. James says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. In other words, wisdom is ours for the asking. And God is not going to chastise you because you asked him for it. In fact, he invites us to ask him for it. Remember King Solomon, as he stepped up onto the throne following his father David, God basically said to him, here's a blank check, Solomon. Ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And it would have been natural for him to ask for power and prosperity, to seek riches and strength for his kingdom. But he asked for wisdom. And God was, was responsive to that request insofar as not only did he grant him wisdom to rule over Israel, but he also gave him the, the gold and the silver and the other things that would have been the natural thing to ask for. So God will give to us liberally. And sometimes we forget that God is a giving and a generous God. The psalmist says this of him, Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. You know, sometimes we, we see ourselves as serving, uh, serving God like he's the, he's the rent man. You know, if, you, if you're old enough, you might remember the days when your parents bought things. That, in eastern Belfast, they say this, you, you bought it on tick. Did you ever hear that saying? You bought something on tick. What does that mean? It means that you basically were paying it week by week and somebody would call to your door and they would tick your name to say that you had paid your debt for that week and then they'd come back the week after. And if you had a tick man, if he would come, you bought a television or something or you were renting something or other. <coughs> Believe it or not, people used to rent televisions. Uh, and you, the tick man would come to get the rent on the TV. And uh, sometimes your parents wouldn't have the rent. And they'd say, Oh, here the tick man's coming. Hide behind the settee and be quiet. And you'd, and you'd hear him knocking on the door and you, th you thought this tick man must have been a monster of some kind. You know, you were always afraid he was going to come. And sometimes we think God is like that, that he's a tick man, that he's always looking to get something from us. But he's our heavenly father. And rather than coming constantly to collect from us, many times he's coming to give us. 
And here James describes God as a liberal giver, as one who gives generously. Now, the term liberally elsewhere in Scripture is translated with this word, uh, singleness or simplicity. It has to do with the purest form of giving. God is the most sincere giver. He's the most genuine giver. You know, sometimes we give and we expect to get in response Sometimes we give and we have a motive for giving that is selfish. But God never gives that way. God always gives in our interest, out of care for us. And he's always giving out of care for the one who's the recipient. So the psalmist presents God with one who gives with an open hand. And James adds that he gives with a full heart. He wants to give and to give and to give. And James adds another term to this picture of God. Not only is God generous and sincere in his giving, but he says he upbraideth not. What does that mean? It means that he doesn't scold us when he gives us. That he doesn't give us in a spirit of chastisement or reproach. He's not begrudging in his giving. He doesn't say, well, you know what? I knew you'd come running to me eventually. Did you ever hear somebody say something like that? You go to them, oh, I knew, I knew you'd be coming someday. Well, that's a person who's scolding you when they're they're giving to you. But God doesn't do that. He expects us to run to him. He's looking for us to run to him. And nor does he withhold from us because we've asked too much or we've asked too often. His giving comes as the purest expression of who he is and not who we are. So every Christian will require wisdom. Every Christian ought to request wisdom. And every Christian may receive wisdom. Notice what he says here. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. See that? God says, if you ask for it, I'll give it to you. If you seek it, you'll find it. I have it here for you. If you want it, it's yours. You know, sometimes we get this idea that God reserves his blessings for a select few, for a little elite group. There used to be a woman in our church in Dublin when I pastored there, and, uh, and I was just a young man, and she was probably in her middle age years, and she used to say to me all the time, oh, it's all right for you, she says, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And I, you know, you, you would say that about somebody if you resented the fact that they had some kind of privileged background, you know, you thought that they were, you know, nobility or something, or their parents were exceptionally wealthy. But I wasn't brought up in that kind of home. Our parents weren't, my parents weren't exceptionally wealthy by any standard. And so I used to think to myself, why does she say that about me? In fact, at that time, I was virtually paid nothing. So, I mean, I had literally nothing in terms of this world's goods, uh, just about. He and I were living hand to mouth week by week. Uh, but she would say this all the time, oh, you, she says, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And, and the more I thought about it, I, I realized that what she was saying was she was looking at my life and she was thinking to herself that compared to her life, my life seemed blessed. My life seemed somewhat easier, that it seemed more privileged than her life. It's almost like she was saying, well, well, you're God's wee pet, but I'm not that way. You know, God treats you different from the way he treats me. Well, friends, that's not true. That's not true. And James denies that. He says, if any of you, 
He didn't say this is just something for the pastor to have or the elders to have or the deacon to have or the Sunday school teacher to have. This isn't just somebody uh, who's, who sits on a board who can... No, this is for anybody. If any of you lack wisdom, notice it says that if you ask that God gives to all men, if any man will ask for wisdom, it shall be given him. That's the promise of God, and you can hold on to it. You see, God is not exclusive, uh, but he's inclusive in relation to this gift of wisdom. It doesn't matter about your spiritual state. It doesn't matter about your intellectual state. It doesn't matter about your financial state. It doesn't matter about your physical state or your mental state or your social state. None of that really matters. All that matters is that you come with sincerity before God and you say, Lord, I need wisdom. God has promised to give it to you. The only condition you must need, that you must meet, is is to acknowledge your need and to ask for God's help. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 2. Because this is a theme that the Bible comes back to again and again and again. You know, God wants us to have wisdom. He wants us to be smart in the daily trials of life. He wants us to, he wants us to respond to, a way, to our problems in a way that glorifies Him. In chapter 2 of Proverbs, in verse 6, it says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Notice it comes from his word. The Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth. We might say out of his word cometh knowledge and understanding. Go a few pages over in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes. The very next book of the Bible, chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 26. It says, Chapter 2, 26, Ecclesiastes. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. Let's go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 21. The Gospel of Luke, because this is as much a New Testament teaching as it is an Old Testament teaching. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, and verse 15. And this is talking in the context about the Jewish people, Jewish believers during the tribulation period, and how they'd be brought before the courts of the land and would be prosecuted. And uh, what would they say in that day? And verse 15 tells us, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay, nor to resist. You see, right throughout the scriptures, we find that God is giving us wisdom. Psalm 119 says that through thy commandments has, uh, that through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. Sorry, thy through, thy through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, uh, for they are ever with me. God says you can be wiser than your problems, that you can be smarter than your enemies, that he will provide his wisdom. So every Christian will require wisdom, every Christian ought to request wisdom, and every Christian may receive wisdom. But some Christians are refused wisdom. Now, I want you to get this this morning. Although wisdom is on offer, 
And although it's a genuine offer, and although God holds it out with an open hand and says, you may have it, and he wants to bless us with it, some Christians miss it. They don't get it. Why? Because they question the reality of God's promise. So either they don't ask for it in the first place, and therefore they don't get it, or they ask in doubt. You know, they they come and their prayer is overshadowed with the cloud of doubt, and they're questioning whether or not this is really a worthwhile venture. Notice what James says. Let's go back to James for a moment in chapter 2. He says, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with uh, the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, faith is not something that you add to your prayers. It is something that issues, uh, sorry, prayer is something that issues from your faith. Faith is not something you add to prayer. Prayer is something that issues from your faith, from the conviction of the heart. You know, the children's chorus says, faith is just believing what God said he will do. Well, let's make that a little bit more adult and say that faith is just believing God's promises. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is accepting what the Bible says and acting upon it. And so to pray in faith is to pray confident in the knowledge of God's promises in his word. But some people, in the midst of difficulties, if you were to say to them, you know, you should really ask God for wisdom, they would see the sense of what you were saying, but then on the other hand, they would kind of doubt whether that was going to help them out of their trouble. And so the Bible describes them as being like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, I'm going to pick at my wife. Because you like it when I pick at my wife, don't you? <laughs> she loves it. One of the things I love about my wife is how indecisive she is sometimes. Sometimes, not all the time. Particularly so when she's wanting to buy something. It is just misery. For example, one time we were going to buy a new kitchen. And I took her to this kitchen showroom. And we said to the man, we want to buy a new kitchen. And he says, what kind of kitchen do you want? And we gave him an idea of the kind of kitchen. Hazel gave him an idea of the kind of style of kitchen that she wanted. And he says, okay. And he goes over and he pulls out this drawer full of uh, cupboard fronts. And he lifts out one and he says, how do you like that one? And she goes, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And he gets another one. He says, how do you like that one? And she goes, yeah, that's nice. And he gets out another one. Well, what about this one? Aye. Guess another one. What about that? See, by the time he was finished, the whole shop was covered. And then she goes, oh, I don't know, I don't want any. And she walked out. <laughs> and I said, what, what's, what do you mean you don't want any? We went to that shop, the bad kitchen. She says, no, he gave me too much choice. She said, I don't want that much choice. So, so later on, we phoned another company out. This is literally what happened. The, the salesperson came out to our house. 
He says, do you want this one or do you want that one? She says, I'll have that one. She made the decision. One time we were on holiday in Crete. We were walking down the main street of the capital there, Heraklion. We were walking down the main street. We were going to lunch, I think it was. There's myself and his and our son Paul. And I said to the two of them, I says, now let's just keep walking. Don't be distracted by the shops. We're going for lunch. Let's just keep walking until we get to the square and we'll have lunch. I says, do not look to the left or right. People will drag you into shops. Got halfway up the street. I looked at Paul and I says, where's your mommy? He says, she's, she went into a shop down there. Well, I knew, I knew that she was looking for a silver necklace. And so I knew which shop she'd be in. There was a jeweler's down there. And I says, come on, we better go and get her. And so we went into the shop and the shop owner was standing with his wrist out. And he had from his elbow to his hand a whole armful of silver necklaces. And I walked in, and, he's, and he holds up one, and he goes to Hazel, would you like this one? Nah. Would you like this one? Nah. What about this one? And he did this about 20 times. And, and here's how I know that this is not going well. There comes a point where she stops talking, and she starts muttering. So he goes to her, what do you want? And she goes, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> See, she's laughing because she knows it's true. <laughs> she goes, she just goes, <laughs> she starts speaking in tongues. <laughs> and I go, so I'm like, oh, we're past the post here. We're not going to get, a, he's not going to get a seal here. So he goes, do you want this one? Do you want that one? <laughs> so, so finally the poor man looks at me in frustration and he goes, what does she want? <laughs> and I said, she doesn't want any of those, mate. And we left. <laughs> now, if he had been smart, he would have just said, oh, a silver necklace, we'll have this one, and we'll have that one. And she would have said, oh, I'll have that one. And she would have made a seal, and we would have left. Now, to be fair to my wife, she's not always indecisive. She's probably decided already to reduce my dinner substantially. <laughs> and... Uh, and she's certainly not decisive when it comes to the Lord. She's very sure about the promises of the Lord, and I appreciate that about her. But, you know, there are people who, when it comes to life's troubles, are tossed to and fro like that. And more important things than necklaces and, and uh, cupboards, you know, when it, when it comes to life's troubles, they get tossed to and fro, up and down, back and forth, in and out. They're not quite sure what to make of them as to whether God can really be trusted in the troubles. They, they can't make up their minds as to whether or not they ought to petition God. So they come to the, thr the throne of grace one minute, and they ask God for divine wisdom, and then they head off to worship at the altar of worldly wisdom next. And a person like that can never have or know the blessing of God and of his generosity that would fall from heaven if they would ask in faith, believing. They're double-minded. It literally means two-souled. It's like there's two souls inside of them. There's, there's a wrestling match going on there. And they want the best of both worlds. They, they want to live by God's wisdom on the one hand, but also to keep their oar in and live by their own wisdom on the other hand. And God says, that'll not work. He says, you're not going to receive anything from me. And you're going to end up unstable in all your ways. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to impact your life. The word unstable means unsteady. Never sure. You know, when the, again, up in Belfast, there's a thing that people say. I haven't heard anybody here say it, but maybe people say it here. Uh, but when, when, people's, when people are having a hard time about something, they'll say, oh, I'm distracted. You ever hear somebody say that? Is that a Belfast thing? People say, oh, you know what, Pastor, I'm distracted. When somebody says I'm distracted, it means their head is turned, that there's something going on in their life, and that's all they can focus on. A trouble. I'm distracted. I don't know which way to turn. That's what the word unstable means. It means that I'm distracted, that somehow or other I've been taken off course, that my life is, that my thoughts are fluctuating back and forth, uh, that, uh, that somehow or other I've become unsettled, uh, that I'm inconstant, uh, that I cannot make up my mind uh, about what to do and whether or not I can trust God and his promises. I wonder is that you this morning? Are you distracted? There's something that so occupies your mind. Even as you came into church this morning, that was the thing that was on your mind. You didn't come in thinking, you know what, this is the time to worship the Lord. This is the time to focus in on God's Word. Uh, this is the time to lift up our hearts and exalt the Savior. That wasn't the thought was on your mind. You came through those doors and you were still thinking about that problem. You were distracted. Is that you? Don't know which way to turn. Some difficulty in life become so consuming of your mind and your thoughts that you just don't know how to respond. Well, here's what you need. You need wisdom. You need to turn it over to the Lord who has wisdom in abundance. It's there for you this morning if you'll just ask for it. It's simple. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and obradeth not, and it shall be given him. May God bless these thoughts to our hearts this morning.